Good afternoon or good evening. I'm Barbara Jean and you are listening to the good news here on the New Thought Media Network. So grateful you could join us this evening. Well, let us get right into it. We start off the evening with this incredible story about how natural defenses in plants may be successful in humans dealing with neurodegenerative diseases. Wow. So the Good News Network has reported on dozens of studies that purport to find the culprit compounds or hidden keys to various diseases, but rarely do they ever sound like something out of a Marvel comic book. Hmm. Now, a study published in the journal Nature Aging is seeking a treatment for neurodegenerative diseases like Huntington's in the trunks of trees. In it, the researchers demonstrate that transporting a protein called SPP found in the plant cells responsible for photosynthesis into cultured human and animal cells brought about a reduction in protein clumping and system symptoms of Huntington's which of course is the primary objective of the study. Huntington's is a protein, proteinopathy and one of nine neurodegenerative disorders that are brought about by toxic aggregations of proteins called polyglutamine that don't stick together in healthy humans. In humans and animals, it causes the death or dysfunction of brain cells. But in plants where such proteinopathies like Huntington's are also present, it causes no damage at all. So hoping to see if such an effect could be replicated. The study team investigated what was happening and found that the plants avoided the toxic aggregation of mutant Huntington due to their chloroplasts. Okay, so can this be used on humans? Hmm, hard to say. Many people don't notice that plants can persist amongst variable and extreme environmental conditions that cause protein aggregation. We usually forget that some plants can live thousands of years and should be studied as models for aging research. This sounds like a really interesting study and could mean life-changing positive results for many, many people. All right. Well, we have got a young person trapped, a young man trapped um, on a just on a tiny ledge. This fallen hiker um, managed to get rescued in a very, very tricky spot. An off-duty Air Force captain proved himself worthy of rank and regalia after conducting a daring rescue of a fallen hiker on the shoulder of Yosemite's Half Dome. Captain Joshua Haveman, 60th Air Evacuation Squadron, was hiking the famous peak in September when he saw a climber slip in wet conditions and fall perhaps as many as 80 feet down into a, onto a precarious ledge. Haveman and the other hiker were at a section of the hike where in order to pass up solid granite, a series of cables embedded into the rock are necessary for safety and leverage. If they don't have a harness rope and carboners to secure themselves to the cables, hikers are left simply holding onto them or using them as handholds. 
Without hesitation, Haveman took action. Faced with harsh winds, slippery rock and hail, he made a decision to venture outside the permanent cable barriers to reach the fallen climber. His climbing experience and extensive medical training proved invaluable in this life or death situation. You could see that his legs were not naturally oriented at all. So I started collecting sticks from subdome and started climbing. Haveman recalled. Other climbers were concerned for my safety, but the guy was just up there screaming in pain. So I left the cable area and climbed on the ledge. Using makeshift splints fashioned from sticks, Haveman provided crucial first aid to the injured climber by securing above and below the tibia fibula fracture and wrapping his injured ankle with an ACE bandage he had in a medical kit he had brought. To shield the climber from the harsh elements and apparent shock, Haverman covered the climber with his jacket while organizing a call to search and rescue. After about 45 minutes, the park ranger emergency medical technician came up with a full medical bag so they were able to use a structural aluminum splint to better stabilize him. When you go out hiking, you want to make sure you've got whatever you need with you and maybe having another person there to ensure that someone could call for help if you need it. I think that's just really good advice. Anyway, way to go to that uh, Captain Haveman to do the work that he did to save this, this person. All right. One more story before we go to a break. So this is one of those heartfelt stories that just oh, makes you bubble. My dad sent me a card on my wedding day, 20 years after his death. Wow. Yeah, here's me getting emotional. What's new, right? A bride received a letter and card from her dad from beyond the grave. 32-year-old Freya Rosada was just 11 when her dad, Philip Hargreaves, died from cancer at the age of 53. They used to do everything together. He'd take her to dance classes. They'd watch films and play games together. If Freya's mom ever said no, her dad would always say yes. Ooh, I'll bet that caused some tension. <laughs> but understanding his fate, Philip wrote nine cards for Freya. Eight for birthdays. And a final one for her wedding day. He did this just in the weeks before he died. Her mom, Teresa, read the card to wedding guests, <laughs> leaving everyone in tears. Me too. <laughs> um, wow, I'm just a mess here. <sighs> so here's what he wrote. I wish I could be standing next to you, the proudest dad in the world, to walk you down the aisle to the man you love and to the next chapter in your life. Today is your day. Enjoy everything about it. Laugh and cry. Be happy and confident. Face everything full on. You will then succeed in your life together. You gave me some of the proudest moments in my life with your sense of humor, intelligence, understanding, and caring nature. Don't ever change. Love you forever, Dad. Well, I don't know how she took that. 
But I can tell you that would just about <laughs> knock anybody on their little butts on their wedding day. Anyway, on that note, while I compose myself, let's go to a little commercial break. And you're watching the New Thought Media Network. And this is the good news. We'll be right back. Help us say thank you to our organizational sponsors, including the Hefferlin Foundation, Affiliated New Thought Network, International New Thought Alliance, Science of Mind Archives and Library Foundation, Center for Spiritual Living Denver, Center for Spiritual Living Midtown, New Thought Philadelphia, Planned Happiness Institute, Summit Center for Spiritual Living, One Heart Retreats, Center for Spiritual Living on the Lake, Unity Spiritual Center, Kitchener, Ohm Center for Spiritual Living, La Mesa, Satya Center, Center for Spiritual Living, North Jersey, Unity of Savannah, and Center for Spiritual Living, Seattle, as well as all of our individual donors. Thank you for making New Thought Media Network a place to be. Please come be you. And remember, like, share, and subscribe. New Thought Media Network, positively inspiring. Welcome back to the New Thought Media Network and the good news this Friday afternoon or evening, depending where you are in the world. It's always so nice to see all the sponsors of this network. It's such an important place to be. All right, back to good news. We have three cooks in prison who honed their creativity with drab ingredients and now out an award-winning chef and businessman. Wow, this is great. So there are geniuses in there, said two-time James Beard Award winner Keith Corbin, referring to incarcerated men and their ability to cook with the most lifeless, flavorless ingredients imaginable. Corbin spent 10 years in prison himself, 
and combined with his career as an award-winning chef at his restaurant, Alta Adams, he knows that it takes to make good food out of anything. Corbin was profiled in a feature piece at The Guardian that twisted together the stories of several entrepreneurs who launched careers in the food industry after more than a decade of smoking sausages in a toilet with toilet paper or making Tamil dough with ground up Fritos. You get creative when you have to, right? Another of the featured ex-cons was Chef Michael Carter, executive at Down North Pizza in Philadelphia, where he employs only formerly incarcerated men or returning citizens, as he called them, and offers them halfway or low-income housing with the apartment building located above the pizza shop. His pies, mostly square ones, have made the New York Times best pizza list and won the best of Philly 2021 category for square pie. After Carter was released from a 12-year sentence, he took a class for resume writing for food professionals and was asked what experience he had. He replied he had cooked in prison for 2000. He got a job the next week. The mission is actually what made me accept the job, Carter said, to be able to have a voice and tell people about the plight in our community of returning citizens. It's something that both Carter and Corbin reported to Sonia Singh at The Guardian, that prison squeezes men, and that squeeze sometimes creates diamonds. You have people in there that literally never went to school for technology, but the phone breaks and they figure out how to fix the motherboard, Corbin says. There's geniuses in there, ingenuity. Corbin, on the other hand, went into prison with a deep connection to food. His grandmother grew tomatoes and collard greens in their yard and would wake up at 5 a.m. to start cooking for the working people in her community. In prison, Corbin also fed dozens of people, often with flavorless ingredients. At the commissary, he would requisition packaged food, food items and try and do his best to squeeze flavor into dishes. He told Singh that he made a Reese's peanut butter cup by baking syrup-soaked processed peanuts and melting a Hershey bar over top. The appreciation he got for that particular experiment gave him belief and determination. He would see, Singh wrote in her article, the Asian inmates fermenting their own kimchi, further expanding his understanding of possibilities in an environment that seems on the surface a largely possibility less one. Well, I'll tell you, creativity abounds and wherever there is imagination, there are infinite possibilities. I love that. I love that story. All right. Well, here's an interesting one for anybody who trips and falls when you're walking by the subway. Wow. This guy got caught under the train. And he survived by laying flat underneath and in between the tracks. It was a normal commuter day for Pratik Kumar, who jumped off the train to New Delhi to buy biscuits and a cold drink when it was stopped at Baga Railway Station, West Champaran, India. But when the train began to pull away without him, he ran to jump on board and slipped under the moving carriages. Clever Pratik survived by laying down between the track and the brick wall of the platform. 
onlookers said, and the video shows officials watching in horror as they wait for the train to pass. He was careful with his movements and stayed still, waiting for the train. After the train had gone, RPF cop Yadav came to the aid of the victim, getting down to the track and picking him up. Pratik Kumar suffered minor injuries and also had parts of his clothes torn in the incident. It's a vital little survival trick to remember and will likely be a human's only chance of making it out of such a situation alive. That was some smart thinking. Way to go, way to go. I'm always impressed with how creative people can be in moments of like just really crazy stuff because that would be a tough one all right well your wedding day is an important day today is my 21st wedding anniversary and uh so i'm you know remembering back to that day 21 years ago when pierre and i tied the tied the proverbial big bow into the life that we now live so this is about a good samaritan saving a bride's big day in a heartwarming display of kindness and good fortune, a passerby came to the rescue of a bride whose wedding day nearly took an unexpected turn for the worse when her car broke down en route to the church. Sharon Travers was on her way to the ceremony at Cults Parish Church in Aberdeen, Scotland to exchange vows with her fiancé, Martin Kelly. However, just when it seemed like the universe was conspiring against her, a good Samaritan emerged to ensure that her dream wedding remained intact. The vintage 1976 Triumph Stag, in which Sharon was traveling, decided to play its own part in the wedding drama when it suddenly stalled on the road. As panic set in, Sharon's chauffeur, who happened to be a good friend masquerading, as a chauffeur for the day, promptly flagged down a passing car. The passing car turned out to be driven by Alan Knowles, a name that would soon be etched <laughs> in the bride's memory as her savior. Must be because it's my anniversary today that I'm all weird, Terry, who knows? Without hesitation, Alan agreed to drive the bride to the church. Following the successful rescue mission, <laughs> Sharon couldn't contain her gratitude. She hugged her newfound hero, thanking him profusely. I'll tell you, being a good Samaritan comes with some excellent perks. Hugs from the bride. That's always a good thing. All right. Back to a little bit of science stuff. So the holly tree, presumed extinct for 200 years, discovered after it was placed on the most wanted list. Hmm, interesting. A small holly tree species native to Brazil has been rediscovered after nearly two centuries of being presumed extinct. The incredible return to light is part of a worldwide conservation project to identify species that haven't been seen in tens or hundreds of years. So far, the hunt is going very well with nine of the 25 most wanted lost species actually being found alive. Um, the holly was found in the city of 
Igarassu in the Brazilian state that the tree takes its name from. Four individuals were identified. The tree, which can reach between 26 and 40 feet in height, uh, 8 to 12 meters, was identified by its tiny green flowers after botanists that made up the search team spent hours pouring over museum specimens. Eventually, having had no luck, they turned their attention to herbaria collections in museums and arboretums that hadn't been digitized, sketched images, and pressings. Nature surprises us. Finding a species that hasn't been found or heard of in nearly two centuries doesn't happen every day, said the project team member, Juliana Allencar. It was an incredible moment. We were all anxious to find the plants at another team member. And it was exciting when we found the first individual plant. Thanks to the keen eyes of Dr. Lenelson, who was able to find some white flowers in a tree alongside the dirt road. It's like finding a long host, long lost and long awaited relative that you only know by old portraits. The expedition team was led by Gustavo Martinelli, an ecologist with Navia Biodiversity Limited and sponsored by the organization Rewild. They have so far financed the rediscovery of eight other species around the world that had been presumed extinct, adding scientific data detailing each species conservation situation and, would and what could be done to keep them discovered. Among these was the Fernandina giant tortoise from the Galapagos, which Rewild had originally planned on looking for, but a search and subsequent lab, lab test by the Galapagos Conservancy beat them to it. There are so many plants, animals that we, you know, don't know where they are. Finding this is really a wonderful thing and also gives us a lot of hope for other plants and animals that we believe have gone extinct as well. Such cool news, I'll tell you. The science stuff always gets me. All right. So science, scientists are 3D printing stem cells that can be implanted as brain tissue. I'll tell you, what can't you print these days? <laughs> An exciting advance from Oxford University has raised the prospect of tailoring stem cells quickly to treat brain injuries in humans in the future by essentially 3D printing the cells. In experiments, the implanted cells integrated into the animal's brains, both structurally and functionally. The innovative study published in the journal Nature Communications marks the first time neutral cells have been 3D printed to mimic the architecture of the cerebral cortex. The success of the study, part of a 10-year span of published research on 3D printing cultured cells and synthetic tissues, has increased hopes that similar technology could one day be used to treat brain injuries. Each year, around 70 million people across the globe suffer from traumatic brain injuries, with 5 million of those being severe or fatal. There is no effective or reliable treatment at this point. 
However, cutting edge tissue regeneration therapies are seen as a promising route to treatment, especially those which incorporate implants derived from patients' own stem cells. In the latest study, researchers used 3D printing techniques to create a two-layered brain tissue using human neural stem cells. When implanted into the brains of mice, these cells encouragingly showed convincing structural and functional integration with the host tissue, despite the species difference. The cells were then dipped in a solution to, re to generate two biolinks which were then printed to produce a two-layered structure that was maintained for weeks. The researchers used modern human pluripotent stem cells, which are created by activating genes that cause a reset into the tissue of a skin sample to a base sample that can then be programmed into most tissue types. Wow, science is amazing. Who thinks of this stuff? Oh, right, scientists, my mistake. <laughs> Human brain development is a delicate and elaborate process with a complex choreography. Uh, it would be naive to think that we can recreate the entire cellular progression in the lab. Nonetheless, our 3D printing project demonstrates substantial progress in controlling the fates and arrangements of human stem cells to form the basic functional units of the cerebral cortex. People with brain injuries may have a lot of hope in the future. That is some good news. All right, and our last story for today. Wow, the time just flies, doesn't it? Researchers invent a way to turn harmful mine waste into healthy soil. An Australian-Canadian science and engineering team has discovered a way of turning mine waste into arable soil that is already being used to grow maize and sorghum. Tailings is the official industry term for mineral waste left over after separating away all the useful metals from mined material. Typically toxic from heavy metals and unusable for anything else because of this, tailings are kept in storage facilities to prevent them from polluting groundwater or farmland. Hoping to save billions of dollars in such storage fees and remove the threat of disasters that occur when such facilities break down or are abandoned, a team from the universities of Queensland and Saskatchewan sought to see whether it was possible to convert this lifeless rock into healthy soil by returning microbial life to it. Tailings have no biologically friendly properties for growing plants. Roots and water cannot penetrate them, and soluble salts and metals in tailings can kill plants and soil microbes, said Longbin Huang, uh, professor at the University of Queensland. If you wait for nature to slowly weather the tailings and turn them into soil, it could take a couple thousand years. Using the Canadian light source, Hang and his team found a way to accelerate this process of repopulating the tailings with soil microbes. The CLS is a giant synchrotron, a type of circular particle accelerator. 
It works by accelerating charged particles through sequences of magnets until they reach almost the speed of light. Using the CLS's light, the scientists could visualize the detailed mechanisms of how they were able to develop the organic mineral interfaces and revitalize the tailings. We needed to use the SM beamline to unravel at the nanometer scale the immediate interfaces and how the minerals change and how they interact with organics. The facility access and the expert inputs of the Beamline staff were critical to enable us to collect quality data and therefore to have reliable scientific evidence. This could be the most remarkable news ever with the things we've done to our planet in our lifetime and before, uh, it looks like maybe the future will be a little bit brighter. I want to thank you so much for watching the good news tonight here on the New Thought Media Network. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. And by the way, donate. New Thought Media Network is a charitable organization doing remarkable work in our world. And so I invite you to give generously. Thank you so much for watching the good news. I'll be back again next month with more good news. And in the meantime, have a most marvelous weekend. And for anyone in Canada, Happy Thanksgiving. Bye for now.